On behalf of the Mayflower Church family and staff, I welcome you to this time of worship on this beautiful Memorial Day weekend. Although we are still worshiping remotely for the safety of our community, we remember the words of Jesus, that he is the vine and we are the branches, that though we are apart physically, we are connected and growing together through him. And so wherever you are this morning, whatever size screen you are viewing, whether you are sitting on a couch in your living room or in a dining room chair or the deck of your boat or a stool on your patio, we are confident that the spirit of Christ has brought us together for worship this morning. We hope you've been able to connect with Mayflower through our Facebook and Instagram pages. Each day, inspirational and devotional messages and music are brought to you from our staff. We hope you've also received the news to use email this week. There you will read about new outreach opportunities. If you are able to donate food items to IHN homeless families currently living in hotels during this time of sheltering in place, please meet Rachel Cooley and Ruth Bell Olson on Wednesday, May 27th from 4 to 6, or Saturday, May 30th, 10 a.m. to noon. They will be under the portico in the middle parking lot, you can go to our website to see the wish list for food items. And finally, it is with profoundly mixed emotions that I share the news that Mark and I have accepted a call to serve as co-pastor, head of staff, the House of Hope Presbyterian Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. In the letter that was sent out last week, we expressed our deep gratitude for this congregation's willingness 15 years ago to extend a call to a curly-haired 39-year-old pastor whose wife also happened to be an ordained pastor. We brought along three small children with different colored hair, red, brunette, and blonde. You warmly welcomed our family into your hearts and into your community. There is much to celebrate in our time of mission and ministry together over these past 15 years. And so in the coming weeks, we will announce ways in which we can do that. For example, there will be Zoom gatherings at various times throughout the month of June. We ask you to watch your emails as sign-up genius invitations will be sent. And also know that the personnel committee is at work creating a transitional plan so the ministries and worship of this great congregation will continue to grow and to thrive. If you received our Friday email, I invite you to locate the worship bulletin or to visit the homepage on our website so that you can download it. That way you may follow along with the order of worship. And now let us turn our hearts to the God of love. 
As we gather this morning for worship, let us be planted in the soil of God's grace. Let us be nurtured with the strength of Christ, the vine of everlasting life. And let us be enlightened by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, which flows through us today and all days. As we gather for worship, may God abide in us so that we may abide in God and live in God's love. Come, let us worship together in God's name. I invite you to join your hearts with mine in the opening prayer. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we come before you this morning, we are reminded once again that the patterns of this world are not your ways. The Beatitudes stir within us a new way of being present with each other and living into your justice. This morning we pray 
that each of us will be among your disciples who come to be taught. In your mercy, lead us on your path. In your son's name we pray. Amen. First scripture reading comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 to 3, and then continuing with verses 10 through 11. Listen now for the word of the Lord. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, And a garden causes a seed to grow. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
second scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, verses 1 through 12, and from Philippians, chapter 4, verse 4. First, the Gospel of Matthew. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are, are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And from Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In his book, Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis describes his process of transitioning from from what he called atheism to Christianity. And he makes this confession. I had always wanted, he writes, above all things, not to be interfered with. I, I wanted to call my soul my own. I had been far more anxious to avoid suffering than to achieve delight. Is that possible, I wonder? Can one intentionally steer one's life towards or away from either of those directions or experiences? Away from suffering, for example, or towards delight? This morning we conclude our series, Resurrection Blessings, a Study in the Beatitudes. To remind ourselves, we began the series in the radiant light of Easter morning. After watching the women peer into the empty tomb and hearing an angel say, Go to Galilee, the women went and and told the disciples, and they found Jesus on a mountaintop in Galilee. Jesus there said, Go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I commanded. And surely I am with you always until the end of the age. 
we then wondered what we were, in fact, called to teach. And so we turned back to the fifth chapter of Matthew, where Jesus taught his disciples in a crowd of, of the hungry and the sick and the suffering on another mountaintop. Over the past five weeks, we have reflected together on these teachings called Beatitudes, or a word that means blessing, the blessing of being, for example, a poor in spirit, mourning and being meek, of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, being merciful, pure in heart, and last Sunday, becoming peacemakers. This morning, we turn to our, our, our final beatitude as Jesus teaches, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Over the past few months, faith traditions around the world have have attempted to make sense of and, and to respond to this global pandemic. And in broad brushstrokes, there are a few common responses that have emerged. The most pointed is the idea that this is a form of God's judgment. Franklin Graham, for example, Billy Graham's son, has said the pandemic has occurred because of sin that's in the world. Man, believes Graham, has has turned his back on God and we need to ask for forgiveness. And perhaps that's what you might believe, and no doubt in Scripture there are numerous examples of God's anger being displayed and plagues, for example, being the result, as we discover in the story of Pharaoh and and Moses and the Exodus. Another Christian response to this pandemic has emerged from those who don't necessarily place the blame on, on human beings, but are more interested in how we respond to this pandemic as people of faith. N.T. Wright, one of our leading theologians, offers this response in a recent piece in Time magazine, cautioning against embracing what he categorizes as rationalism in regards to stating as fact that this pandemic is God's judgment. Meaning there is danger in deciding everything that happens in our world has an explanation. Because suppose it doesn't, suggests N.T. Wright. Suppose real human wisdom doesn't mean being able to string together speculations and to come to conclusions regarding this situation. And Wright offers another approach. A biblical response called Lament. He notes how lament is what happens when people ask why and don't get an answer. It's when we get to that place where we move beyond our self-centered worry about sins and failings and look more closely, for example, at the suffering in the world. When we can find empathy, for example, and wonder how is this pandemic affecting a crowded refugee camp on a Greek island or South Sudan. And then Wright adds this compelling coda in his article. He notes how the Bible teaches 
that God also laments. Which makes sense when we remember the the Bible records, for example, that that Jesus cried, that the, the Holy Spirit groans. Our world, in other words, is not the way it's supposed to be, in particular now with COVID. And our response, says Wright, as Christians, is not to presume that we know this is God's judgment, but rather to recognize perhaps what God and what we can express in response to the suffering and hardship in our world is lament. Which brings us to a third way to respond, and that is if we can admit we don't have enough information to answer the why question. Yes, we can lament, but we can also, as Jesus teaches in our, in our final beatitude, rejoice. As he taught those suffering that day on the mountainside, that when we experience hardship and suffering and persecution, Jesus says rejoice and be glad. In other words, in response to C.S. Lewis' confession early in his life that he attempted to divide those two, suffering and delight and rejoicing, Jesus suggests at the conclusion of his Beatitudes, it is possible, even necessary, to find where they intersect. And how, you might ask, do we do that? Find where suffering and rejoicing intersect. This week I came across a wonderful article entitled 14 Ways We Are Finding Joy in Spite of Everything. Max Reed, for example, as he puts it, is an elastic, wasted pants enthusiast who shares how for most of my day-to-day life, my regular breakfast has consisted of a black coffee. When I'm really hungry and eat a big breakfast, I may add milk. But now, as I'm lucky enough to be working from home, he writes, I have found myself rediscovering the simple joys of consuming an absolutely obscene number of calories before noon. For the last few weeks, he writes, I've eaten bacon and buttery French omelets and massive breakfast burritos. The heart wants what it wants. And sometimes what it wants is grilled cheese at 10 a.m. Perhaps one place where suffering and delight intersect is with food. Has that happened to you during this pandemic? Rediscovering, as Max Reed phrases it, the joys of consuming an absolutely obscene number of calories before noon. Or maybe you're like Alexandra Jacobs, who in an attempt to find joy has started to exercise, or as she puts it, the joy of jogging very, very slowly. Because as she shares for what I have been doing daily since this whole calamity began, cannot be described as running Her 12-year-old son calls it prancing or trotting. Or as Caitlin Weaver offers, there is joy in deleting, as she writes, my many mediocre photos. 
For example, hundreds of sunsets captured over five years and demonstrating an artistic technique that never improves. But most damning are the screenshots that reveal how much of my life is spent fiddling with my phone without my noticing. Accidental images of my lock screen are everywhere. So after I received the rude complaint from my phone that it was nearly out of storage, I began deleting. For well over hours, she writes, clawing back gigabytes of space, I felt productive. I felt lighter. And I now have room for more screenshots. In this strange world, we are all learning how to cope, aren't we? We have a good day, and then a not-so-good day. We capture a a fleeting moment of joy one second, and then despair reemerges. We live in a world where we celebrate a graduation, but it's not the kind we imagine. We live in a world where most of us now have lost friends or, or loved ones or colleagues, or at least know those who have. We live in a country where 38 million people are now unemployed. Nearly 70% indicate this has been the most stressful time in their entire professional career. Nearly 60% of all Americans are worried about running out of medicine or basic supply. But outside of finding joy in, say, calories or trotting or deleting photos, where else, we might ask, can we find that place where where suffering and rejoicing intersect? This week, as I studied our passage, I came across one possible answer. When I learned the word translated as rejoice in our passage in Greek is chariot, which is the second person plural active president imperative for our grammar aficionados of the word chario. Now the word chario emerges from the root word char, which means favorably disposed or or leaning toward, as well as charis, which means grace. In other words, chariot, to to rejoice, means literally to experience God's grace and to become aware of and disposed towards and leaning towards grace. And by so doing, come to delight in grace. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, author Philip Yancey tells a story how during a a British conference on comparative religions, experts from from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. And they began eliminating possibilities. Incarnation? Other religions had different versions of God's appearing in human form. How about resurrection? Well, again, other religions have accounts of return from death. The debate went on for some time until, well, well, C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. What's the rumpus about, he asked. 
and heard in reply that his colleagues were, were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. And Lewis responded, Oh, that's easy. It's grace. Which makes sense that this was C.S. Lewis' answer. When I, when I learned this week that while as a young man he attempted to avoid suffering and to steer his life towards delight, his life was actually impacted over and over again by suffering. When he was nine, his mother died of cancer. He was then sent to boarding schools where he endured abusive headmasters. He was later wounded in World War I, serving on the front lines of a war that killed up to 15 million people. Then most heartbreakingly, the the love of his life, Joy Davidman, who he met in, in his later years, soon after they met, was diagnosed with cancer. Author Warren Wearsby once said this. He said, Joy is inward peace and sufficiency that's not affected by outward circumstances. This week I wondered if that was the kind of joy that surprised C.S. Lewis. The kind of joy that's, that's not buffeted by suffering or, or despair or sadness or disappointment or even persecution. That the kind of joy that can withstand a pandemic is, as Jesus taught on that mountainside, and, and we are to teach others, is chariot. A joy that grows whenever we experience and we are favorably disposed and leaning towards and delighting in grace. That perhaps a coordinate where suffering and delight intersect is a holy longitude and and latitude. That place where we, we recognize and we internalize no matter what we did or didn't do in our lives, no matter what happened to us or or will in the future, God's gift of forgiveness is steadfast and eternal. That place where, where we come to know there is nothing, as Philip Yancey observes, that we can do to make God love us more. And there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. As one mystic put it, joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of God. So yeah, This world is not necessarily the way we'd like it to be. And yes, we might not exactly know why that is. But we can choose.
to Chariot. We can with joy acknowledge and accept and live in grace. In the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sustainer. Amen. I will sing new songs of gladness is one of ten biblical songs written by Antonin Dvorak. Three months after the premiere in New York of his New World Symphony in 1894. These songs are all settings of uh, psalms from the first translation into Czech of the Bible dated 1613. This would have been the Bible that Dvorak knew as a child. And these songs reflect the bedrock of Dvorak's faith, the realization of personal blessings amidst the potential perils of the world and grateful response. I'm grateful today that we have two cantors with us, Emily and Scott. So we will hear for the first time since we are sheltering in place um, a duet in this space. Emily will sing soprano, and don't be surprised, Scott will be singing the alto part. We're fortunate to have a choir director with a beautiful falsetto voice. Every week, Mayflower leans upon the generosity of its members and friends to fund our budget with approximately $25,000 of support. This comes through plate offerings, checks, credit cards, and online giving. There are no ushers this morning, but if you are following the online bulletin, please know that you can click on the link and text your offering. You can also give online at our homepage on our website where you can find the donate button. Or if you would prefer, we have a mailbox under the portico where you can either drop off an envelope or simply put one in the mail. We have been blessed with gifts we have not sought. We have received strength amid our struggles. And we have been raised from death into new life. Even our wounds remind us of a God who cares for us. And so let us give thanks as we bring our offerings before God this morning. Sing you songs of gladness. 
Let us pray. For your abounding grace, we give you thanks, O God. For your steadfast love, we pour out our gratitude. May these gifts provide a place of grace and refuge for those in need. May these offerings extend the spirit of hope to those who are hungry and homeless. And may these gifts bring joy and strength to all who receive them. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.
This morning, our prayers are inspired by the words of Bishop Michael Curry, Philip Yancey, and Max Lucado. There will be a time for silent prayer followed by a sung response. Will you pray with me, please? This is a new day, O Lord, and we do not know what it will bring forth. But make us ready for whatever shall be. If we are to stand up, help us to stand bravely. If we are to sit still, help us to sit quietly. If we are to lie low, help us to do it patiently. If we are to do nothing, let us do it gallantly. Lord, make these words more than words and give each of us the spirit of Jesus. O loving God, teach us that the main purpose of prayer is not to make life easier, but to know you. As we pray this morning, recognize within our feeble words a desire to know and to be known by you. As your creation bursts into vivid purples and pinks and greens, as new life swells around us, as we hear the sounds of birds chirping and the wind rustling through fresh leaves, let us come to know you by hearing your presence seeing your creativity and smelling your fragrance around us. Flood our souls with your spirit so we might become your living beatitudes, radiating your peace and mercy and righteousness and purity and joy to others. In the silence, O oh Lord, hear our prayers that we might know you. Hear our prayers that we might see your spirit stirring change in our world. God of grace, as we wake up and live into another day fringed with COVID-19, draw us into your peaceful presence and away from the anxieties 
and fears and restlessness of the world. Remind us once again that you bring grace and joy out of suffering. As we reflect upon scripture this morning, we remember how you have led your people out of danger. How you have protected your children and given them wisdom to ward off their enemies. And so we pray, do it again, Lord. Do it again. We pray for those we know who are fighting for their health. For those who are undergoing chemotherapy and radiation. For those who have postponed surgeries. And for those who are simply tired. Do it again, Lord. Do it again, we pray. Surround them with your comfort and bring them into your grace. We pray for the families in the IHN rotation who will receive the food we collect this week. It is always a hard time to be homeless, but these days of isolation might be harder. And so we pray, do it again, Lord. Do it again. Surround them with your wisdom and create pathways so that they might find your joyful presence. We pray for our high school and college graduates. Celebrations looked different this year. And many futures are uncertain. But we pray, do it again, Lord. Do it again. Surround them with your compassion and guide them as they step onto new and unseen roads. And God, we pray on this Memorial Day weekend, we remember those who gave their lives the ultimate sacrifice while serving our country. As a nation, let us never forget their acts of courage, grace, and hope. As their families and all those who mourn for them walk through the valley of death's shadow, let us meet and embrace them with the healing warmth of your comfort and grace. And Lord, may the day soon come when swords are beaten into plowshares, war is studied no more, and all peoples and your world will know peace. And may we, each one of us, work for that day. O oh God, hear our prayers of gratitude. May they honor their lives.
And now I invite you to pray together with me the prayer our Savior taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
perhaps one coordinate where suffering and joy intersect is in the holy longitude and and latitude where we recognize, internalize, no matter what we did or didn't do in our lives, what happened to us or will in the future. God's gift of forgiveness is steadfast and eternal. That place where we come to know there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. Nothing we can do to make God love us less. For as one mystic put it, joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of God. So yes, this world is not necessarily the way we'd like, and yes, we might not exactly know why that is. But we can choose to chariot. We can choose with joy to acknowledge, to accept, and to live in grace. And now as you go out into this day and this week, know the steadfast love of God surrounds you. The peace of Christ attends to you. And the Spirit will guide you this day and forevermore. Amen.